This is unstructured. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Today we have Travis Chapel. Travis, I kind of um, found out about sideways through uh, Larry Roberts, a previous guest of the show. And he had commented on one of Travel, Travis's shows. And I was surprised to see that Travis, out of nowhere, he's a really young guy. Are you 25 or 26? 25. 25. Yes, sir. At 25 years old, Travis has established himself as a, well, he said top 25 podcaster, but I looked it up the other day and it was actually top 20. And I looked it up just now and it's top 15. All right. (laughs) In the business category. So he, in a relatively short time, when did you start? Uh, Last August. It's been about a year now. In about a year, he's managed to get in the top, I mean, the top, top of business podcasts. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be running up against the ceiling now because you've got Jocko and some other people. And I don't know if Gary Vanderchuk's going to move out of your way yet. Or... Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but you are definitely rubbing elbows and you have all these guys on your show too. Hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Try, try my best to get the best content out there for sure. Well, and you have a, a really awesome origin story, and if you don't mind, can you share that with us? Yeah, um, more are you talking more like the podcasting part of it, or um... anywhere where you want to go? I mean, you're a salesman, and that that's very interesting too, because yeah, perfect, well, perfect. I yeah, hate sales <laughs> sold Kirby door to door. Did back you back in the night, and that was just soul suckingly painful going in and doing a carpet shampooing of a room. Hey, can I shampoo your room for you? And I showed them (laughs) that I could shampoo the room and everything wrong with their vacuum. And I didn't close the deal. How how long did you do that for? I did that for, uh, I'd say eight years. I mean, two months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's, that's most people's tenure in the door to door sales industry. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's how I got started into, quote unquote business world. Um, uh, I would soon find out that being a hundred percent commission sales rep is a little bit different than owning your own business. Um, I would say that it's probably the closest that you can get to owning your own business without actually owning your own business, if that makes sense. Like having a network marketing, you know, business or going door to door, um, with, um, or being a hundred percent commission sales as if you're a real estate agent or mortgage broker, like that's probably the closest that you can get to owning your own business without actually being the one that owns it. Um, mm-hmm. so that was kind of my first glimpse into that world, um, was, was knocking doors and I started that when I was, uh, 19 years old in college, um, started knocking doors for solar and, um, learned really quickly that it was something that I've had a little bit of a knack for. And, uh, I always wanted to uh, keep moving up to the next level and keep doing the next thing. And so I did a, did solar for a couple of years. We started at one company, moved to another company. Um, and then I got recruited out of that into the alarm space and well, went door to door. And that, that was the first year actually that I ever broke six figures was, um, was when I did door to door alarm. So I did door to door solar for a year and a half, two years almost. Um, never quite hit six figures with that. <clears throat> um, not for lack of... Um, uh, the industry per se, but, um, it was just, it was just a time in my life where I was, I was thinking that I was going to be pursuing the degree that I was getting, 
um, in college, which was church ministries and uh, uh, be like a youth pastor or something right out of college. And so during that time, I was like job searching and trying to figure out what I was going to be doing. And then I was just, it was 100% commission solar. So I was just selling it on the side. Um, so not to say that you can't make that kind of money in solar as well, but just when I moved to the alarm ministry, it's when I figured out that I was going to be doing business and entrepreneurship and selling full time. And that I, that was the career that I was going to chase after. And uh, so I got recruited out of solar into alarms in 2015 when I was 22, 23 um, mm-hmm. was the first year that I hit six figures, which was in the alarm space. And then uh, after that got uh, 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 basically sat down, figured out that I didn't want to do this forever. And uh, so I, I really had never done any sort of personal development up to that point. I was just like relying on my, my, on my ability to sell. And I would only pick up on things from people that would teach me. So that was the number one way I learned. I didn't learn from books, audiobooks, podcasts, videos. I didn't learn anything from any of those. It was just getting around the people who had made a lot of money before and uh, learning exactly how they did it. So before just, we go on, I want to jump back for a quick second because um, you mentioned that you were studying to um, be in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there is definitely a very strong correlation I found in the podcasting world between um, ministry or um, church folk and podcasts. And I can point out Dave Jackson, very, very, very strong Christian, very religious, uh, Daniel um, Daniel J. Lewis of the Antacita Podcast. Also, he was studying, or, no, he wasn't studying to be in the ministry, but he worked for the church. And he spun off into this. Do you think that some of that may have carried through with not only your sales, but your performing later? Um, you know, I, I would say there's a totally there's totally direct correlation between that culture and sales. Um, I haven't noticed as much of it in the podcasting world personally, um, but that's just my perspective. Um, I could be totally wrong on that, but uh, definitely between between sales and um, and that culture for sure. That's why that's why all the door to door companies and network marketing companies base out of Utah in Provo, Utah, and all these areas in Utah because there's a strong Mormon population there and. Um, I was not Mormon, just it was different religion, but uh, but still fairly similar in the fact that like a young Mormon kid, or for me a young Baptist kid, um, you know they're not partying on the weekends, they're not worried about like taking this new drug or drinking or um, you know doing any of those things. They're they're ready to get on with their lives. Meaning like in that culture, you get married young, you have kids young, you do everything young. Like you, as soon as you're in college, as soon as you're done with college, like you're an adult, you pay your own bills, take care of your own stuff. And so, um, there's a, um, and then, and then they're typically like pretty clean cut. Um, you know, they're not shaggy looking. They usually don't have scraggly beards. Like for me in high school and college, I would get to merits if I didn't shave. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. you're just clean cut young kids who have a drive and a hustle to do something that aren't worried about like getting girls and getting drunk on the weekends. So you just use a lot of that time and a lot of that energy that you would spend doing all of that to work and knock doors and sell deals. Um, so I think that there's a strong correlation between those two cultures, which is completely evidenced by the fact that 90% of the biggest door to door companies in the country are out of Utah because they understand that there's a direct correlation between those two things as well. Um, I didn't even think about that. Mormons and, Jeho- uh, Mormons and Jehovah witnesses knocking on doors. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah, guess it's yeah. built into the religion itself. And for me, as as a Baptist, it was the same way. It was it was you know knocking doors from every weekend from the time I was like you know seven years old or whatever, um, just with a gospel tract instead of you know an iPad and selling something. So um, uh, yeah, it was there, there definitely a direct correlation between those two. Uh, so uh, fast forwarding back to back to that uh, that story. Basically, I was at the point where I was done doing those things, not necessarily mm-hmm. forever, just like. I know I don't want to do it in a decade from now, so I need to make sure that I'm pivoting currently so that I end up where I want to be instead of just like accidentally going throughout life and then in 10 years realizing that I'm I'm at where I don't want to be, if that makes sense. Oh, so, sure, sure. For the first time ever, I, I jumped into personal development, just deep dive. Um, I mean, YouTube videos, audiobooks. Some books I read a lot more now than I did back then. Um, I'm just not a, I'm not an avid reader. I'm an avid mm-hmm. learner, but I'm not an avid reader. I just, I, I would rather learn different ways. And so, um, you prefer audiobooks or I prefer uh, audiobooks audio. for sure. Yeah. So like I, I'll, I'm constantly reading a book and constantly listening to a book on audio. It just happens to be that like in a given month, I'll go through three or four audiobooks and I go through one regular book, you know, right. one, one actual book that I'm sitting down and reading, but I do like the practice. I enjoy the practice and I, and I think that it's good for me to practice something that I'm not super good at. Um, and it helps my comprehension a little bit and helps me learn and apply that learning a little bit better, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, that, that, so that all of that to say, that's when I jumped into podcasting. Um, so I was diving in personal development and I was like, whatever I can consume, I'm going to consume. I took literally like six months off. Obviously I'm a hustler, so I didn't, it wasn't completely off. You know, it was like still Mm -hmm. hustling deals here and there, making some money, doing some, some stuff on the side. Um, my wife was working, so we were making a little bit of money and then cashed out on a real estate deal that I had, um, with my parents and, um, which, which helped me sustain during that time. Um, so my daily schedule was like, wake up, go to the gym, come home, personal development. Um, and that was just kind of what I was doing. And that's when I found podcasting, um, got, connected with a guy named John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. Um, Mm -hmm. Loved his content, just started diving into it. Um, Unbeknownst to me at the time, I got sucked into the JLD fire funnel. And uh, so a salesman who knocks on doors got sucked into a sales funnel. Of course. We got it clarified. Of course. Yep. (laughs) Yep. No one is immune. When it's good, it's good, man. When it's good, it's good. And that's the difference between um, what John does and what I do now um, between that and between knocking on doors is that knocking on doors is a lot of push marketing, right? Shove in your face, knock, knock, knock. I know you don't know me, you don't know my company, you don't know my product, but by the end of this hour, you'll know all three of those and you will have signed a contract type thing. Whereas like with what John does and then kind of what I do now, it's it's giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, giving, adding value, adding value, adding value, and then finally having an ask at the end. And then people just kind of like, it's a lot more pull marketing there. It's attraction marketing. People are attracted to the character that you are and they're more willing to spend money with you. Whereas the other way was more like, in your face, in your face, buy my stuff. So it was a, what feels better. Yeah. Uh, the pull marketing for sure to me feels better. Um, I, I've never been the typical salesman personality type though. Um, even in the companies that, that, um, I was a top producer in, um, uh, the, 
the the managers and the owners of those companies would they see saw a complete difference between me and the other people that were there um, because my personality type isn't necessarily one that a regular salesman has which typically would be like really high highs really low lows like fairly emotional roller coaster type people um, is what the is what um, some of these killers and when I say killers I'm talking about like the best door to door guys out there you know I, I would put myself in a different category when it comes to sales just because most people like you were saying, don't stick around door to door at all, let alone go on to make like not just decent money, but six figure money at a young age um, in those industries. So I think that I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't classify myself as a killer compared to some of the people that I know. Like these are dudes that just thrive on it. They love knocking doors and like getting rejected. They love the game. Um, I was never that person. So the way that I'm doing it now feels a lot better to me um, than it did uh, doing, doing the pushing the, and kind of in your face type stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was, it was, uh, very much a lot of that. And I got sucked into JLD's funnel and, um, uh, took his free podcasting course. And by the end of it, I was like, I think this is something that I could do and uh, that I could do really well with. Um, cause I had thought about like blogging and I had thought about some different writing and stuff like that. Um, but in, in the end, um, I'm decent at that stuff, but, uh, I don't enjoy it at all. Um, and talking just seemed like a way easier way to like actually get that accomplished. And it's even a more personal way because people get to hear you and see you, um, when you do videos and audio instead of just like read something that you wrote. So after I was done with John's free podcasting course, I was like, I definitely want to do this. I just got to know like what the next step is. What, what am I like? What do I do next? I had zero idea. So reached out to John. He put me in touch with a mentor um, uh, that I ended up paying named Jeff Brown from the Read to Lead podcast who helped me with a lot of my podcasting setup and everything. Did you take his interview course or did you? Um, Who's that, Jeff? Jeff, yeah. I uh, Yeah, I did one-on-one coaching with him for three oh. months. Yeah. Yeah, one-on-one coaching with Jeff for about three months. Um, and, uh, after that was done about a month after I would completed coaching with Jeff, I went to Puerto Rico to John Lee Dumas's house for about five, for about three or four days, um, with four or five other people for like intense masterminding and, um, and stuff like that podcast coaching directly from John himself. So, um, I basically just dove straight in and tried to figure it out. And it's been a crazy journey since then. I launched a couple months after that in August of 2017. And now here we are August of 2018. Wow. And that's really cool. Um, couple of things that I've heard you talk about before and that I really appreciate is when you went to uh, Jeff Brown, that's right, isn't it, Jeff Brown? Mm-hmm. And John Lee Dumas, they weren't free, were they? No. No, they were <laughs> not free. No, because you didn't have, don't, sometimes if you don't have relationships, you got to pay to get them. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Um, you either got to like, you got to pay with your time or you got to pay with your money. Meaning, meaning you have to figure out a way to add value to people in order to gain value from people. Um, but without expecting anything in return, unless you're paying them, if you pay them, then you can expect something in return because you're paying them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, if you, if you don't have the money to pay them, then maybe that means just volunteering or getting to know them some other way by giving some aspect of your time to them instead of giving aspect, instead of giving an aspect of your bank account <laughs> to them. Um, but yeah, at the right. beginning I paid, yeah, Jeff was, I think 4,000 bucks for three months of coaching at the time. Um, and it was just podcast coaching, like nothing about business, nothing about monetizing, nothing about like, you know, creating your own podcasting funnel, nothing about that. It was just podcasting, like how to podcast, um, Mm -hmm. how to launch a podcast basically. And uh, it was worth it every dime. It was totally worth it. I'm not saying that I'm, I, you know, I'm upset that he didn't teach me those things. I'm just saying like 
like to give the listener an idea that that's how much I valued that kind of a, a relationship. And so I, I paid for that coaching. And then the weekend at John's house, this was just a weekend. It wasn't months of coaching. It wasn't like a full right. year long mastermind. Like this is a weekend mastermind, three days of masterminding, one day of just like uh, catamaran in Puerto Rico. Like that by itself was 6,500 bucks plus plane tickets and different expenses while I was there. The whole weekend cost me about $8,000. So within before I'd even launched my show, I had already spent over $12,000 in coachings and masterminds just to learn how to podcast better. See, and I'm, I'm really glad that you've been really open about sharing all this. And that's why I wanted to bring it up again. And it really um, perked my ears to hear because I feel like in the podcasting world, there is a, okay, I'll say cheapness, but there are, there are people who are like, oh, I am, I'm not going to pay for that. Why am I not getting downloads? I'm not going to pay for that. Why do I sound like crap? I'm not going to, and, and really, I feel like people want to be a professional podcaster, but yet they just want it to be bestowed upon them that miraculously overnight, okay, I'm going to turn on the microphone and perform. And suddenly I'm a professional. Yep. Now I don't think you didn't launch immediately. Did you, didn't you spend some months training and, and tuning up and probably making a ton of mistakes and flubbing and everything else? Almost a full five months in pre-launch. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit over four months. Okay. And were you recording and practicing and, mm-hmm. and getting your ums? And so, had you know, three months of, uh, three months of episodes recorded and ready for launch. No, two, two months of, of episodes, uh, recorded and ready for launch plus three to launch with. And I was doing three a week. So that for me was almost 30 episodes that I had completely recorded, edited and ready for launch before I ever hit the publish button. Awesome. And how much time did that take? four months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first couple of months was stuff like, Hey, what am I going to call the show? What am I going to talk about? What's my logo look like? What's my website look like? All that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but then the, the last couple of months was like, all right, now I got to start actually reaching out to people and booking some interviews, see what this looks like. Like, how does this even work? See if, if people, are people going to say yes? Are people going to say no? What are like, are they even going to respond to me? Right? Like, what can I tweak in my email copy that makes people say yes more often? You know, like the, just figuring all that kind of stuff out and then actually getting, and then when people started saying yes and getting on an interview and then being like, Oh shoot, I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there's, there's totally a lot of that stuff that, um, that, uh, I tried to prepare for before, before I ever launched my show. Now was everything, um, that you recorded released or do you have a lot of things that just, sorry, didn't make the cut. Those were dress rehearsals. I released everything. I released everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty transparent about all that stuff. Like it's all still on my feed. So you can go listen to how crappy of an interviewer I was like for the first like 25 episodes that I have on there. So I'm sure you weren't that crappy. You managed to pick up other people. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very scripted. It was scripted at the beginning because I, I didn't know how to w- like wade my way through a, a real conversation. Um, so mm-hmm. at the beginning, my mistake was trying to copy what John Lee Dumas had done. 
and like mm-hmm. have like the same questions every single show. Um, right. and, uh, I figured out really quick that that was not the way to do it. If I was only going to be doing three days a week and there were going to be longer interviews. So the way, the reason it works for, it worked for John for so long is because he had the same exact questions, but there were 20 minute episodes and he was doing them every single day. So it was the realistically the only, the only way that he could actually put out an episode a day, um, was to do it that way or else it would have just been impossible to like have the mental energy to like come up with new questions for every single guest and stuff like that. So I, I made the mistake of, of, uh, of, of doing it that way at the beginning. And so my interviews kind of sound kind of scripted because I'm going through a list of questions instead of allowing people to expound on a conversation. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but in fairness, um, don't we always imitate somebody to begin with? I mean, oh, yeah. when we start out, it's like, okay, I don't, yeah, I don't regret it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't regret it at all. I mean, he, he's, he's one of the top podcasters out there for a reason, you know? So I was, um, just doing everything that, you know, I think, I think the most important thing is just to do it and to take action and to get it actually done. And then like you make minor tweaks along the way, you know, what's your methodology now? Now is a lot more conversational. Um, I'll I'll just prepare for probably 30, 45 minutes, maybe. Uh, actually, it's a little, it's been a little bit longer than that recently, like an hour to two hours of preparation for every show, meaning like I just listen and digest, uh, digest a lot of content that that person's already put out um, and uh, try to figure out some ways that I can talk about something that they don't usually talk about on my show. Okay, so do you, uh, do you prep like a... I'll give you my method and then just to see if it um, corresponds. I, I will listen to a bunch of interviews like I've been hearing you off and on all day and just start thinking about different things. Then I may write out uh, a bunch of questions. It could be 10, could be 20, depending. And then I'll pick on a question and I just see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Like if, uh, if that question opens up things, and then I try to really listen to what's being told to me. And if I hear something, I'll, I'll try to tack down that path. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it is. Um, I over-prepare for every interview. Like the, to put it really simple, you just want to over-prepare for every interview. Because if you're over-prepared, you'll always get a great amount of content. If you're under-prepared, then that's when you get a lot of the uhs, the ums. You have these questions that don't lead anywhere. Um, and you end up with not a lot of great content from the entire time that you sat down with that person. And you obviously don't want to waste any of that time. Um, and then uh, if so, if you sit down beforehand and you are totally over-prepared and you have a list of 15 questions that are all really good, you might only get to three of those questions. But that doesn't matter. The content that you get from the other questions is what matters. Have you um, found that too? I, I've noticed, I mean, you've interviewed really gigantic people like um, Grant Cardone and others, but you've also interviewed people who are less known. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that sometimes the less known people have just the most amazing stories. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It, it, a lot of times what happens is you'll interview a big name, right? Like you get a Grant Cardone or a Jack Canfield, um, somebody like that, an Ed Milet, and you, and you, and you talk to them. And what happens is a lot of times is when people listen to those, it'll be their first exposure to your podcast. 
So they'll be like, mm -hmm. wow, that was awesome. That was a really great interview. But then the next episode is with Joe Schmo, who they never heard of before. Um, but they listen to that episode and they're like, man, that was some really great content from Joe. Like, how did you, you know, like, who, how did you find him? How'd you get in contact with this person? And like, the reason that happens is that they've never heard that person's content before. So it's like right. totally new to them, right? Like if you hear Grant, pretty much what Grant talks about is what Grant talks about. He talks about real estate. He talks about sales. He talks about marketing. Like those are what he talks about. Right. So when you have him on your show, it's going to be a lot more of that same thing. Now, like I said, my job is to try to get some stuff from him that most people don't get, which he told me that I did. And um, that's like my main goal when I'm interviewing somebody. So what sure. happens a lot of times with these people that don't have a huge following, um, but have done a lot of awesome things, like they have a ton of success. It's just that they're not well known, but people haven't listened to their content before. So when it's good, it's good. If that makes sense, like they, they have absolutely it's 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 new to them. It's new to that person because they've they've never heard this particular person talk about it before. Sure. Do you find it harder? I mean, I, I find it harder sometimes where it's like, oh, boy, you know, like I um, I interviewed uh, Professor James Fallon after Jordan Harbinger. OK, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I managed to go completely different and got a whole bunch of new material out of him. But yeah, honestly, I was intimidated. Yeah. And Right. I, I find it more challenging sometimes to interview the really well-known guest who is one, they're very strong, they have presence and they have talking points and you don't want to push them too much because they could get annoyed or, or swing off. Yeah. Um, I find that to be even more challenging. Yeah, totally. And and I, before before we get started with something, I usually I usually ask my guests if they have something that they you know want to steer clear of, or if they have something that they'd rather focus on more or less, um, just to like help me prepare for that a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, totally. That it is it is it's awesome to have bigger names on your show, obviously. But uh, the preparation for me is a lot more difficult on those interviews because they've, I mean, someone like Jordan Harbinger has put out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, probably, probably thousands at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody like that, you, you're, you're, you're trying to get original content out of somebody who's been interviewed thousands of times. Like it's not easy to do that. And you have to prepare tremendously for something like that. Okay. And has there been a, any guest who um, has really surprised you? Like I had a guest recently while I was interviewing him, I said, so why did you stop um, being a paramedic? And he said, I almost killed a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of went, what? Yeah. Uh, uh, say that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, not to that degree necessarily, but have you ever had any guests just really, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, I can't think of a ton off the top of my head right now, um, especially a specific example of what they might have said. But uh, probably one of the more unique interviews that I've done was with a girl named Molly Bloom. Um, I don't know if you if you've heard of her or not. Um, familiar. Sure yeah, why. it's either it's either you have heard of her or you haven't. Because if you have heard of her, you're like, oh, she's awesome. But if you haven't heard of her, you're like, who? What's that? Say that right <laughs> um, sure. But there, there was a movie that was put out about her story called Molly's Game that came out at the beginning uh, of this year. Um, she was like okay. 
running poker games for a-list celebrities, athletes, and, you know, uh, hedge fund billionaires, all that kind of stuff. And uh, she was put together in this like F- this federal indictment against the Russian mob because they were playing in her games. And yeah, it was, wow. it's a very, very interesting and unique story. And the movie is fantastic. It's uh, Jessica Chastain plays Molly in it. Um, and then uh, Idris Elba is in there. Kevin Costner plays Molly's dad. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really great movie. If I definitely recommend watching the movie for sure. But, um, my interview with her, with her was, was pretty awesome. Well, cool. That's awesome to hear. Um, changing gears and everybody should check that out. Your podcast is about building networks, yes. which I think is fantastic. And actually I'm doing right now. I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. You're a, a well-known podcaster. I just talked to another well-known podcaster. Um, one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is, how do you introduce yourself at a networking event? <laughs> that is a that's a good question. Um, it first of all depends on the event, and it depends on um, uh, on, on how well I've been in that circle before. If there's like like who's speaking at that event. Do I know any of the people that are speaking at this event? All that kind of stuff. Um, but typically, it's just a quick, like, quick introduction. Like, I'm not a big, I'm not a big like uh, believer in the whole come up with your elevator pitch. Like, what's your unique selling, your USP, your unique selling proposition? Like, what do you like? Uh, you know, how do how do you say in twelve words what you do for a living? Like, I, I'm not a big fan of any of that kind of stuff because what my whole brand is doing is trying to get people to stop the regular traditional form of networking, what people associate when they hear the word networking. My plan is to, my goal is to try to stop people from thinking that about networking and from doing that when they network. So at an event, when you, I'm introducing my somebody, I'm, I'm introducing myself to somebody. It starts off with just like I would if I'm meeting somebody at a bar with my buddies. It's just like a, Hey, what's up? My name's Travis. And then let the conversation go where it does from there. Um, so, so typically I'll end up asking them more questions than they ask me. Um, just cause I'm, first of all, I'm genuinely curious. Um, but also people like to talk about themselves. Um, and it gives them a direction to take the conversation. Uh, plus it helps me to understand if I can help them a little bit more. You know, I'm always looking to try to add value in any situation like that. So if there's a way that I can step in and, and add value to something that they do, then I'm, I'm happy, you know, to do that. Um, but a lot of the times it's, it's, it's literally the same way that I would do it in a situation where, I don't have a business card and I'm not intentionally networking to try to get dollars in my bank account. Like it's the same thing for me because networking and building relationships are synonymous in my opinion. That's really cool. And that's why I wanted you to bring it up because I feel like there's a ton of baggage with networking. And when I heard you discuss that previously, I thought it was very refreshing and truthfully it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, yeah. I, we're not all salespeople right. and I, I'm, I'm an introvert and I know you'll be surprised, but a lot of podcasters are introverts. A lot of my audience are introverts. So I really, I like the aspect of it that all you have to worry about is just saying hello and listening to another person, mm-hmm. which I think most of us are more comfortable with because yeah. we're not having to perform. I'm an introvert. Totally. I'm a, I'm a total introvert. Um, and, uh, a lot of times I think that introverts use that as an excuse to not go network, um, and not go meet people. 
And I think that introverts honestly have a little bit of an advantage over extroverts because extroverts can come off really energetic and enthusiastic and kind of in your face sometimes. And they have a tendency to build a lot of shallow relationships with a lot of people instead of like a couple deep relationships with people. Um, and I think that the deeper relationships are the ones that are like really matter. And I think introverts are much better at doing it that way. So I think that you should play the play to your strengths. If you're an extrovert, like you shouldn't try to be like an introvert. If you're an introvert, then you shouldn't try to be like an extrovert, just play to your strengths and be who you are and let that attract the person who's going to most likely, um, be like you because you are probably going to get along with that person better anyway. Too many people try to become a different person. Like if you're an introvert, they'll be like, oh, I got to be like an extrovert. And then they do the whole like, okay, memorize my elevator pitch, memorize like what I'm going to say, how to introduce myself. I got, I got 1200 business cards for this new event that I'm going to. Like, I know like I'm going to go out and I'm going to hand them out to 300 people. And that's just what I got to do. And I'm going to discipline myself to like, no, no, no. If you're an introvert, let yourself be an introvert, you know, like put yourself in a position where people might come up to you instead of you having to go up to them. You know, that's something that I do a lot of times at an event is I place myself in a high traffic area and I have the body language that says I'm open to talking to you and let people come up to me. If I'm feeling like I'm burning out, if I'm getting in the position where I'm like, man, I've talked to so many people, I don't want to talk to anybody, but I'm trying to stay here. Then I'll just like go stand in a place that has high traffic and have body language that says like, I'm open to a conversation. And if you're at an event that like encourages a lot of networking and stuff, then you'll probably have an extroverted person come up to you and introduce themselves and start talking to you. So there's a lot of ways to like be an introvert and still build good relationships with people. That's awesome. And more comfortable, <laughs> right? You know, thinking about that. So I, I'm guessing then you prefer a one-on-one -on -one in many ways than maybe being in a group or. I, I like uh, I like smaller groups, not necessarily one on one. Um, I like smaller groups. That's why I do a lot of masterminds. Um, I think if you're an introvert, masterminds are your money. That's where you should be spending a lot of your time and a lot of your money at. If you're an extrovert, you should go to a lot of big events because there's going to be tons of people there, and you'll be able to do that. Now, either way, you should go to both. If you're an introvert, you should do both events and masterminds. If you're an extrovert, you should do both events and masterminds. But you might just want to focus a little bit more on one or the other, depending on if you're an introvert or an extrovert. What exactly is a mastermind? That was something I wanted to ask. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm actually going to put together a course on this because I've been getting this question a lot lately. Um, a mastermind is simply just a group setting that you pay for. That to me is a very big caveat. Um, if it's not something that you pay for, you're just a group. I, I don't, I don't look at it as a mastermind because when you pay, you pay attention, right? So I think too many people want the free thing, you know, they're like, well, I would do it if it were free. Well, it's like, no, you would do it half-assed if it were free, because if it's free, then you don't have any reason to be fully participating in that particular thing. So, um, if you, if you are, paying for something that you, then you are paying attention to that thing. So a mastermind to me is a paid group of people for the purpose of accountability to keep each other accountable for your goals. And then also for the purpose of connection so that you can connect with other people and collaboration so that you can help each other out to focus on whatever you're trying to focus on. Okay, That's so to me is a mastermind. So it's not a defined thing. No, because there could be, I mean, like I'm a part of a year long mastermind that was all of 2018. Um, with one of my mentors, Cole, he has a, he has a year long continuity mastermind or not continuity, a year long mastermind, which was about, which was $15,000 to be a part of for the full year of 2018. Whereas John Lee Dumas, I went to his house from Puerto Rico 
and so so for Cole's mastermind that I'm in right now, it's a year long. It's it's um, fifteen grand, and there's like eighty people in there. Um, mm-hmm. For John Lee Dumas's mastermind, it was a weekend. There was five of us, and it was sixty five hundred bucks. Um, whereas there's some that are were are called continuity masterminds where it's continuous. It doesn't, there's not really an end date and anybody can come in at any point. Those ones are usually, you know, two to 400 bucks a month or something like that to consistently be a part of something like that. Um, and, uh, you can be in those continuity masterminds that are a little bit lower ticket that, um, but usually they don't have any in-person aspect to them. The lower ticket masterminds like that are a lot of like zoom calls, Facebook groups, different things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but, uh, for the purpose, like to network and connect and collaborate on purpose with a group of people that are also paying to be there because when they pay, they pay attention. So not only are you paying more attention because you can only control what you do. Right. So if you go to a net, like again, on the free thing, if you go to a free group and maybe you're totally focused and you're super pumped about it, but there's a hundred other people in that free group, they're not super pumped about it. You know, maybe only three or other four, three or four other people are pumped about it. But if the hundred people are paying for it, they're all like wanting to get something out of it because they're paying for it. So they're going to spend a lot more of their time and attention on that thing. Um, so not only are you going to get more out of it, but the other people are going to get more out of it. And if they're getting more out of it, then you're going to get more out of it too, because the masterminds are all about collaboration and community. Okay. And, um, the continuity version, is that something that might be good for people who are geographically, um, all over the place. Like I'm in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Continuity. You're in Vegas. I'm not going to hang out with you in Vegas anytime right. soon because mm-hmm. it involves a plane trip, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, great question. Continuity masterminds are literally, yeah, for anybody. Um, uh, a lot of people have these going on. Um, and a lot of it will be connection on Zoom calls or Facebook groups or a combination of the two. Um, and then maybe sometimes they'll have a meetup in person for people that live in that area. But there's that's why they're that's why they're a little bit cheaper um, because there's no in person aspect to them. It's just all totally virtual online, but still a hundred percent necessary in my opinion. Especially if you're a solopreneur, if you're trying to get something going and you don't know a lot of people that live in your area that are in the same mindset as you are, it helps you to be able to hop on a call with a bunch of other people who are on the same page as you, who are like cheering you on, pushing you forward and happy to be a part of whatever you got going on. Like that by itself is is invaluable. Okay. So do you think you can get the same overall benefit by not being in a clustered area? Because I, I've done a lot of reading that, you know, obviously living in LA or San Francisco, you know, where there's some really tight clusters um, can be extremely beneficial, but people who are in Omaha, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, unless they're Warren Buffett, they may be struggling. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you can get the same in my opinion. I, I think face to face, person to person is the best way to connect still. Um, but uh, it definitely offers a way to bridge that gap. So if you don't live in LA or Vegas or San Diego and you can't move to any of those areas, then um, it gives you a way to stay connected with a lot of the people that might be in those areas or might be all across the country still trying to get it done from their living room um, because they, you know, can't afford to live there or something like that, or they just don't want to move, you know, like whatever it may be, it gets you into a community of people um, without having to change your geographic location. Well, cool. Now to wrap it up, um, what would you recommend for uh, a young podcaster or a young entrepreneur who wants to launch forth and build his network? Where, where would you start? Yeah. First of all, I would say gain clarity 
on what you want to do and where you want to be in the next five years, because that'll depict how much money you can spend on building your network. Um, I, I think that there's, that's a, that's a very, um, important distinction because I, my, my biggest advice would be spend more money on building a network on purpose. Uh, that would be my biggest piece of advice. Uh, but if you, you, you can't take that advice if you're not wanting to explode your business or if you're not wanting to like turn your podcast into a seven figure podcast. Like if you're not wanting to do those particular things, then it's going to be different advice for you. Um, because you're not going to want to go spend, you know, 15 K on a mastermind to be a part of, because you're not really worried about that. You just want to like start getting more in touch with your local community or maybe meet some people at an event every once in a while. Um, I think the answer either way is spend a little bit more money than you're currently spending on this kind of stuff, because I think that it's super important. At the end of the day, all you have is your relationships. What's going to get you through the downtimes is your relationships the opportunities that the relationships that you have create for you to be able to continue going forward and excel when a lot of other people are staying stagnant. Um, the relationships that you have are going to be the things that push you forward. And so I think it's worth putting a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of money into those things. However, that's why I say, first of all, you got to gain clarity. Um, because if you don't want to see those things happen, if you don't want a seven figure podcast, or if you don't want to push your business forward in that same regard, um, then, um, you know, maybe the $300 event that's happening around the corner from your house might be a much better investment for you than dropping 10 K for, you know, a six month mastermind or dropping, you know, 35 K for a year. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? So I I would say you got to gain clarity first and then whatever you're doing, I think you should spend a little bit more money, like make yourself a little bit uncomfortable, um, to build your network because, uh, I don't think that there's any other task that is more important than doing that. Okay. So either spend time or spend money Mm -hmm. or a combination of the two. If you can do both, I've done both. I've done both. Like a year ago, I didn't know anybody, like zero people. Um, didn't know anybody in the podcasting space and the business space. The most successful people that I knew were like low six figure income, you know, like mm-hmm. not even up, not even upwards of a half a million dollars a year. Like those were the most successful people that I knew at the, like a year, year and a half ago before I started my show. And now obviously been able to ex- ex- literally explode that network. Um, but it's mm-hmm. because I've been able to put a lot of time, energy and money into, into building a network that's beyond anything that I thought would be possible. Well, that's awesome. And then where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, just head over to travischapel.com right now. It'll just redirect you to buildgenetwork.co. Um, but, uh, travischapel.com is under construction right now. Uh, but either way that can be where you'll, you can find all my social links there. I spend a lot of time on Instagram stories and on Facebook. So if you want to connect with me personally, reach out on Instagram, it's just at Travis chapel and chapel is spelled with two P's and two L's. Um, so at Travis chapel over on Instagram, shoot me a direct message or tag me in the story. If you're listening right now, screenshot it, um, tag us both in the stories to say what's up. And, um, I love connecting to anybody. So, well, awesome. Hey, and thank you so much for coming on. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, man. It was a, it was a blast chatting with you. There's a lot of good stuff here. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? 
Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. A fish surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing The Diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you very much. You look very pretty just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. Mm Thank you.